Welcome to Architectures of Planetary Wellbeing, a podcast and audio sense-making space that explores the interconnection of our social and ecological systems. Each season, we partner with climate visionaries to join us in hosting and shaping a series of conversations that bring together a variety of lived experiences with the hopes of helping us explore the threads between architecture, design, and environmental activism. For our first season, we are honored to have Yesenia Funes as our host. Yesenia Funes is an environmental journalist based in New York. She's currently the climate director for Atmos, an independent nonprofit magazine that covers climate and culture, where she publishes The Front Line. She has written for publications like Vogue, The Guardian, and ID Magazine. Beyond her work, she's queer, she's Latina, and she's the children of Salvadorian immigrants. She focuses on reporting and writing on climate justice, always working to build a better world through her words. Welcome, Yesenia. We're so happy to have you as a host for our first season of the Architectures of Planetary Wellbeing podcast. To kick off this season, we thought it would be great to give listeners a moment to acquaint themselves with you as you are the first person to take us on this exploratory journey. So I thought this kind of episode could serve as a way for us to get to kind of know you and maybe learn a little bit more about who you are and also what you've learned or what you've taken away from this time um, in this journey with us. So to kick things off, I was just kind of curious um, to learn a little bit more about you. Um, When did you first realize that you wanted to become a writer and most specifically focused on environmental and climate justice storytelling? Yeah, this is a bit of a long story, so I'm going to try to condense it. But, you know, I think it's like it starts from the very beginning with me. Um, Like I grew up, you know, to two parents who were immigrants. They're from El Salvador. And, you know, we grew up pretty poor. Um, eventually just had my mom, single mom in the picture. And, you know, there's a lot of gang violence growing up. Uh, my family's, you know, survivors of gun violence. Teen pregnancy was quite normal <laughs> growing up. There are all these different factors um, that sort of instilled in me this sense of like injustice, you know, like I remember growing up thinking, this doesn't feel right. And then I remember going to El Salvador with my mom and my dad and seeing what the sort of extreme end of that spectrum is, right? Like kids running around without shoes, um, sewage being dumped into rivers. And I remember thinking, this doesn't feel right either, you know? Um, And I remember it dawned on me at some point in high school, like there are people who have it well and have privilege and have it easy. I didn't quite have like a racial analysis lens yet at the time or a class analysis lens, but I understood that some people have it easy and some people don't. And that instilled in me this like very real sense of wanting to do something about it, you know, uh, of justice, um, you may say. And um, yeah, writing was just kind of like the one thing that I felt (laughs) I was good at in school. Uh, I was never quite, I was never fond of science, never was fond of math. And so I was like, shit, I should just become a writer because English class is the one class that I can do with like my eyes closed. Um, I don't think I really understood what journalism was until I actually got to J school. Um, But it became quite clear to me once I got to J school that uh, climate change was going to be my focus or rather like environmental issues. I can't remember if it was my freshman or my freshman or my sophomore year that Superstorm Sandy hit New York. And that was the first time that I saw the words climate justice. Um, And the first time that I felt 
scared about what could happen with rising global temperatures, rising sea levels. My my mom lost power for about two weeks when Superstorm Sandy hit down on Long Island. Um, and I was up uh, in upstate New York, Plattsburgh is where I went to school. And I was totally shielded from that. But the fear and the concern was real. And, you know, people were suffering after that. And it just it just made things, I think, feel much more visceral than they had before then. And so I quickly pivoted, picked up an environmental studies major, um, and was like quite focused. Like I didn't take high school that seriously, but when I got to college, I was not messing around. I was like really, really serious about my studies and really determined to figure out a way to like get a job doing this work. Luckily it all worked out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it was really for me, it was my upbringing, you know, the environment in which I was raised, um, the home in which I was raised. And then ultimately, Superstorm Sandy just kind of like shed this light on how all these things were connected for me. And climate change, environmental issues, they just felt like a really easy way to cover and write about all these problems that um, I have issue with uh, through this lens of how much worse it's going to get in a, in a warming world. Yeah. So I guess that's how I got here. And it's actually taken me a little while to like figure that out because I've been asked this question a few times. And when I first got asked this question, I was like, huh, I'm not sure. <laughs> and um, upon reflection, it's, it's, it's all become much more clear now to me. Yesenia, I am thankful that you shared kind of where, where this is all started or where it all started for you. Um, and just thinking about a lot of the things that you work on, both with Atmos and some kind of organizing projects, I'm very curious kind of what values um, kind of keep you grounded in this type of work. Yeah, I feel like I could list words all day, but there are three that really came to mind immediately. Um, that's truth, compassion, and understanding. Um, you know, first and foremost, I'm a journalist and for journalists, truth is our whole reason of being, right? Uncovering the truth, um, deciphering the truth, telling, you know, the multiple truths that can exist, um, at a time. Um, but also I think for a long time, journalism has lacked compassion, especially toward communities like mine, whether that's immigrant communities, whether that's Latina communities, but also, you know, that of my peers, Black, Indigenous, other people of color, um, low-income folks. Um, and so it's really important to me that in telling the truth and in writing the stories that uncover truths, that I'm doing so in a compassionate way that humanizes people, that gives them a voice, um, that centers their lived experience versus, you know, what uh, the government or what their oppressors, uh, you know, would say. Um, and then, you know, really understanding, because I think that at the end of the day, what I'm hoping that I'm able to accomplish by doing this, by telling these truths through a lens of compassion is that I'm creating, um, a sense of understanding from others, right? Like, I, I, in a lot of the interviews that we've done in this season, um, it's become clear to me that part of why there is such division and tension and um, hate that exists right now, um, you know, white supremacy comes down to a lack of understanding, I think, between between different groups, right? Like, I think that if we can understand one another a little better, um, 
by telling each other's truths through this compassionate um, approach, then maybe we can finally learn to see each other as equals and as individuals and as peers, as kin. Um, and so those are the three that came to mind. I mean, there's so many other terms like justice and equity that I could also rant about. But I think for me, those are the three that really guide my work um, in, in storytelling. Thanks for that. I also feel like there are three that can kind of they're that are both kind of personal. I totally can relate to equity and justice, but I think sometimes just in the day to day, the things that you can kind of constantly return to, maybe even the things that you feel like you have control over, um, those three sound really beautiful. Thanks. Yeah, I feel like also justice and equity is like everyone. It just feels kind of like overdone at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and part of me is like, what are like the three that are different? that maybe we don't hear said over and over again. Exactly. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) Um, I have a question for you. I'm kind of curious now that we're kind of in this visionary state and I feel like this kind of time together this season has allowed us to kind of take some step back, some steps back or some time away to kind of envision something different. Um, What do you envision for the future of our planet's well-being? Oh man. Um, I actually wrote this story for Patagonia a couple years ago. It's called A Letter to 2030, um, A Letter from 2030, rather. And essentially, it's me writing where I'm in the year 2030 and describing what I'm seeing. Um, to I write the letter to one of my best friends and really wrote it thinking a lot about her, her son, who was just recently born at the time. Um, he's mixed race, but he's black. Um, and you know, thinking about the world that he was being born into and how I want the world to change both for his sake, but also, you know, for the sake of all the other children. And I think a lot about my own children who do not yet exist, who I would love to, to exist, um, in the near future. And so I think like the most simple way of describing this is, you know, what I want to see for the future is a world where the skin color of my children doesn't predetermine, um, you know, what opportunities they have, their health outcomes, how safe they'll be. Um, and what that looks like is a world where uh, the air is cleaner, right? Where our politicians aren't um, being puppeteered by the fossil fuel industry, um, a world where we invest in uh, renewable energy and, you know, push that, that technology forward. Um, a world where land is returned to indigenous people, where, you know, black and brown folks aren't incarcerated at disproportionate rates. And, you know, I used to not really connect these these specific sort of ideas and hopes to architecture. But um, after this uh, season and after the interviews we've done and the conversations we've had, it's become clear to me that all of this is directly, directly linked to to architecture, which has been really fascinating for me to sort of like explore on the on the topic of architecture and thanks for sharing um you know this season when we approached you i'm sure there was a little bit of hesitance around why why we would ask you to be a part of a quote unquote architectures conversation and um as you know with with rearc a lot of what we're trying to do is kind of open up how people perceive and understand the practices of architecture and design thus you'll see us constantly kind of talking about these architectures with an s um, and design, and also the built environment. Um, how have your understandings of these concepts kind of changed and um, shifted throughout the season? 
Look, like before I met you, Alice, before I was introduced to Reark, I had this like very specific sort of idea <laughs> of what architecture architectures are um, and is. You know, I, I sort of just imagine like, you know, white dude with like circular glasses, this blueprints, you know, designing like the world's next um, like gorgeous building you know or theater or something or that I either imagine this like really futuristic hipster type person or like really old school European art uh that the European art that's like woven into so much of its buildings like it was very much associated with buildings (laughs) um and whiteness um now it's really fascinating to me because I realized that like architecture is not just about the buildings we live in and you know the buildings that we see is not just about skyscrapers and like european architecture it's it's also about what the land was before buildings right the decisions that went into deciding um why things are placed where they were and who was consulted or who was not consulted who was removed from these lands that these buildings can exist in the first place um what ecosystems were destroyed in order to have this infrastructure. Um, But also like, it's so clear to me now that architecture is, it's just like, it's beyond, right? Like the actual built environment and our landscape. It's also about designing and envisioning and dreaming um, about the future we want to see, which is just such a, it's such an integral part of like what my work is as a storyteller is, imagining and envisioning and dreaming about what we want to see and finding the voices of the people who are working to make that happen. Um, And so not people that I never really thought of as architects. I look at them and I'm like, like you are an architect of your specific field or like you're building something for us um, and for the world and you're leaving a legacy behind that it might not be uh, a tangible building made with like concrete and glass. but you're building something even more valuable than that, which, you know, maybe community or maybe it's art, um, maybe it's uh, education, right? And so, yeah, like I think I have a, a newfound appreciation for architecture um, and like I'm just so fascinated to continue learning more about this. Like I, I definitely think this is like the beginning of my uh, foray into design and architecture, um, not the end of it. Happy to hear that. Um, and as you know, we also, uh, you know, see you and the work that you do as a type of architecture. So it was really wonderful and affirming to hear you say that you also see kind of storytelling as a as a, as a, a form of architecture. Throughout the season, we see a plurality of um, architectures in each episode, actually. And we kind of just talked a little bit about what it personally means to you, but just kind of curious if there's any highlights or moments from the season that really have kind of resonated with you to actually help you arrive at this kind of deeper understanding. Yeah. I mean, our first episode, our interview with Tamara Tolls Laughlin, um, 100%, I think that conversation really transformed my understanding of architecture is, and I think that our, our listeners um, will walk away from that conversation having a newfound appreciation as well. So definitely encourage y'all, like, stay tuned for for the first episode. Um, 
I think also our, our conversations with Natalie and Cruz of Way Architecture, um, I'm sorry, I might be mis- misnaming their um, organization. Is it Way Think Tank? Yes. Way Think Tank. Sorry, Cruz. Sorry, Natalie. Um, their conversation on like decolonization and the histories of architecture and the ideas of like, maybe architecture isn't about building, maybe it's about tearing things down. There's just so much um, unapologetic truths that were shared in that episode um, that were just really powerful to, to hear about. And, and you know, th- these are things that Cruz and Natalie talk about all the time. And so it was really cool to be able to capture some of that and record some of that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much that, that I think we have in this season, but what was made really clear to me about architectures that I think is going to be um, the same takeaway I'll have or that the listeners have is that, you know, it's, it's it's more than structures, right? Like this is about power. It's about who is given space, who is given safety, um, who is left abandoned. Um, and I think that all of our conversations do a really, really beautiful job of like, shedding light on these truths while also shedding light on how we can transform and um, improve the, the, the field of architecture so that we don't keep perpetuating the harms that it's perpetuated in the past, you know? Um, so there's a lot of like calling out of the awful, but also a lot of um, solution building and dreaming, um, which is always, you know, really necessary um, especially now is like the urgency around the climate crisis builds and the urgency around white supremacy builds. Um, it feels important that we're also trying to figure out how do we, how do we fix this? Yesenia, thank you so much for joining us on this journey this season. We're so excited to share with our listeners everything that we've learned alongside you. And we will be giving listeners every episode an opportunity to kind of follow you and more about your work. And we look forward to being in touch with you soon. Thank you, Alice. This has been a real pleasure of mine. So thank you for for inviting me on this journey with you. Architectures of Planetary Wellbeing is a podcast of revisions, a media initiative supported by REARC Institute, a philanthropic organization committed to supporting architectures of planetary well-being. For more information on REARC, please visit www.rearc.institute. This season is hosted by Yesenia Funes. For more information on her work, you can follow her online at YesFun, Y-E-S-S-F-U-N, and her work, The Front Lines, at Atmos Magazine. This podcast is produced by Mina Kwan and Andy Christians. Music by Inatlas. Atlas.